What we're going to be talking about this morning is sort of following on from where we've been in the last few weeks. Uh, Mike was uh, looking at it when he was preaching, and then Russ last week as well. And what we're really looking at is, is what, how we as disciples of Jesus Christ interact with the thing that he gave us, that he promised us in John 14 and 16. So in John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, and this is uh, before uh, Jesus is going away. He's talking to his disciples. He's giving them a pep talk of why it's going to be better that he leaves them on their own than he stays with them for the rest of their days, sort of overseeing the church and all of that. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And just before that, in John chapter 14, 26 and 27, Jesus says a little bit more about who this helper is or, or what, his, what his role is. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples again, But the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I can just imagine the perplexing expression on the disciples' faces as Jesus, their sort of commander in chief, the person who's led them for the last three years through thick and thin, who's calmed storms, who calm storms, who's healed the sick, who's taught them all things, mysterious things that are now being awakened in their hearts about how it's going to be better that Jesus leaves them, then then he stays. I don't think there's really any, there's not many earthly things that I wouldn't do to spend a day with Jesus. Um, If Jesus was in Vancouver this morning, I probably wouldn't be standing here. I would probably be on a ferry last night going to see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Jesus physically came back this morning and he was in a place, I mean, this is not theologically correct, but if he was somewhere where I could find him this morning, I would do everything that I could to go and see him. Would you do the same? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, right? We love Jesus. We who call ourselves Christians yearn after Jesus. We love singing his praises. That's indeed the reason why we come here this morning. And yet Jesus says in John that it's going to be better that he goes away. And it's peculiar. It's perplexing, but it's true. We would drop everything. And that's why we're talking about the Spirit again this morning. That's why we dedicate such a lot of our time to figuring out what is this thing that God has given us? Who is this person that God has given us to interact with? Jesus said it's going to be better than him staying on earth. So what is it? It's pretty important, right? Okay. Russ, um, sort of following on, uh, leading up to this interaction between us and Jesus last week, was sort of comparing our relationship and our, our fallen nature of always wanting independence from God. Really, it's the thing that defines sin in our life. It's the thing that defined the fall uh, between Adam and Eve. And it's the thing that's defined humanity for, for, a long, for, for all of human history, is that we want independence from God. We want to be, be our own gods. And Russ last week called us that we instead need to draw back into, into intimacy with Christ through the Holy Spirit. I was really challenged by that preach. Today, the question that we ask is, okay, if the Holy Spirit is better than having Jesus standing next to us for three years, then what should a life that's been transformed by the intimacy of Jesus look like? 
If you stood, if we got the opportunity, if we were alive 2,000 and some years ago, and we got the opportunity to walk beside Jesus, do you think that you would be the same person that you've come to today be? No, I think I myself would be a little bit different. I'd probably be more like Jesus if I fully understood him and spent time with him. I just imagine of the great person that I would be just because I've spent such a long time about such a long time being um, fed into by this uh, by our God, by our Savior Jesus Christ. But again, Jesus said it was better. So what is the impact? What is the fruit of spending time with the Holy Spirit if it's better than Jesus sticking around? And Russ finished with, I think, what should be quite a difficult question for us last week. It certainly stuck out to me as I was listening to the message again. And Russ asked us, have you become comfortable with your level of intimacy with Jesus? Has pursuing intimacy with Jesus, was that a thing that you did in the first three years of your Christianity when everything was new and everything was exciting? Is that something that you've graduated from now? And I think... The passage that we're going to look into this morning, um, that's a part of that. Uh, Paul, we're going to look at Galatians 5, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and something of what Paul is saying was that the believers at that time had sort of graduated their faith from intimacy with Jesus and intimacy with the Holy Spirit onto something else. Um, Paul had actually preached to this group in, in Galatia years previously, and he possibly was part of the reasons why those churches existed today. But since that time, they'd been more concerned with what laws did they have to follow and the things of the fla- uh, what, what human religious works did they have to do. They had had false teachers come into them and sort of bring and try to merge sort of Jewish old covenant law with what Jesus had called them to in the first place. So we'll begin in Galatians 5, verses 1 to 3. And he begins Galatians 5 like this. Again, speaking to this thing of of that something's coming and, and, and clouding their first relationship with Jesus. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. See, the church in Galatians was being distracted from their first love. They had heard the gospel. They had heard that they were eternally set free through the saving power of Jesus Christ. But they had somewhere in the years after Paul had first shared with them, become clouded and suddenly thought that they needed extra things attached to their faith to show that they were believers in Christ. And part of that was they had teachers coming in and saying, you need to get circumcised. God commanded it. God commanded it in the Old Testament. You need to show that you're his people by being circumcised and set apart. And for us today, I don't think that's such a big issue. We don't struggle with circumcision or not circumcision. Uh, going forward. Me and my wife, we're having a baby boy soon. That's not a conversation that we've had. I don't know if we should. Doctors in the house, come, come see us afterwards. Maybe I'm ignorant of this. Um, but they've become distracted from a lo- our first love. And similar to what Russ pressured us or pointed us to last week is what have we graduated to in our faith with Jesus Christ? Have we graduated from intimacy with Jesus onto theology? and complex Christian ideas, and reading big books? 
have we graduated from intimacy with Christ onto good works? I think if we've graduated from anything past our, our primary role and function of coming to church on a Sunday morning is to celebrate Jesus Christ, the eternal freedom that he's purchased for us. If we put in our primary hope anywhere else but in that, we've messed up. And it's easy to do. We do it all the time. We're always sort of wiggling and going off course, and God is always bringing us back to it. Paul continues on in verse 6 and 8. He says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And so I think of this first part of Galatians 5 is, is Paul is trying to clean up sort of the eternal truth in these believers' lives. They'd heard the gospel, they'd been saved, and since it had become clouded, and he's again pointing them back. And that's not where he ended it. I think some of the reason why the church in Galatia was looking to some of the law is that they recognized that, okay, I'm saved in Jesus Christ, but everything's not perfect. Again, Paul alluded it to us uh, this morning. Like, and that song is kind of sets a high standard. Oh, God, you're never going to let me down. Everything's going to be fine and glorious. Well, yes, eternally, right now, struggles. But God will never let us down if, we, if, if our standard for him letting us down is his, is his will. Anyway, subject for a different time. But I think... The reason why the church in Galatians was failing is because there's a a tension between the eternal truth of knowing that we're saved, knowing that we're going to be glorified, knowing that we're going to be like Jesus, and Christians still having to live on this earth now. We know that we're going to be still eternally saved, but we know we're still on earth. And I know, you know, me and Camilla know in our marriage that this isn't heaven. We get little glimpses of heaven in in worship and in different things that we're, we're doing to to show God's glory, but it's not heaven just yet. Paul reminds them of this in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, you're free, you're saved, you're eternally going to be with Jesus, but you actually still have an opportunity not to do things correctly, right? Who agrees with that? We know that we're saved. We know that... Like, I don't struggle with assurance of my faith anymore. Kind of did when I was a teenager, but I don't struggle with that anymore. But I still struggle with this thing that Paul is talking about now, is that I'm still flesh. Even though we're free in Jesus, we're still very much between the tension of two different worlds, between earth and heaven. And uh, Paul's going to continue in that to uh, between verse 19 and 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things the like. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. And again, we're not to be afraid if your hope is in Jesus Christ this morning, even though we struggle with the flesh and the desires of the flesh, we are still saved. And, but I think the dangerous thing is that these things exist within us, even as believers, and that's because, God, we're still partly flesh, right? And we're going to see how, Paul, how we come out of that thing, how we put that to death. 
just in a minute here. Yeah, even though I know I'm eternally saved, I still feel terribly human. Yeah, so the church in Galatians went to the law and all of that. And I think some of us this morning, we struggle at getting with right with Jesus. Some of us this morning in this room spent the first three worship songs this morning trying to get right back with God. And sometimes we do that every week. Oh, here you are, God. Here's your, here's your glory on display. Let me just do the laundry list of things I need to apologize for and get right with you. And over time, maybe some of us have done that so often and for so long that we just turn up on a Sunday. And we've seen ourselves do that for so long that we've given up and we just come. But coming to ch- and, and in that, coming to church has become more of an outward sign than it is about the internal change that God is bringing about in our lives. And in that mode, in that desperation of things of nothing changing, we, I often go, we often go back and we say, wouldn't it be better if Jesus was just standing next to me? He would be so encouraging. He would fix everything. He'd heal me in an instant. Yet Jesus says that what we have in the Spirit is better. Okay? Let's read it again. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. We have this tension, eternally free, but struggling with the flesh. And here, this is the main question of what I wanted to get at. Okay, if, if we're being called to intimacy, if we respond well to that question that Russ pointed to us last week, have we, have we grown stale in it? Or what, how did you say again? Anyway, <laughs> um, have we given up with our intimacy with Jesus? Paul is now going to call us back and call these believers back to the very thing that is going to help them and is going to help them set their eyes on Jesus. In Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And church, I don't know about you, but I yearn for the day where I don't have to deal with my flesh anymore. I yearn. I can't wait for the day where my fleshly body is sitting six feet under in the ground, and I'm somewhere else in my spirit. It's weird, it's weird for the world to say that, but I can't wait to die because it means my flesh is done. Now, I don't want to die. I want to see my baby born. I want to have a rich life with my family and I want to serve God while I'm here on the earth. But the reality is when I struggle, when I feel the weight of this walk with Jesus, I can't wait for my fleshly body to be gone. And I hope that's true for you as well. But... If Rust last week was calling us back to intimacy, then what should intimacy produce? What has God delivered to us that was greater than having him standing next to us? Galatians 5, 22 to 26 is going to reveal this. Let's go there. Um, sorry, I just grab a drink of water first. Galatians, 22, Galatians 5, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gladness, oh sorry, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I think what this passage is all about is what us as believers a yearning for as we, as we go, as we pass from being saved here on earth to being standing before Jesus with our bodies uh, dead, with our flesh dead. 
This passage is about through faith in Jesus, through the gospel, and through his Holy Spirit, being in our lives, coming in our lives, lasting, deep, radical, and permanent change. It's what we sometimes struggle with the most. Some get to sit down with people all the time at Oceanside, being in leader, leading youth, leading connect groups, sort of young adults, and the, the tension in people's lives is why aren't things changing? Why are we still struggling through this thing? And this scripture is going to point it to us. How do we achieve lasting, deep, radical, and permanent change? That's what we want. And I think the hallmark of all Christian change is the word that scriptures use over and over again. And it's this word fruit. How many times does fruit appear in the New Testament? I, I didn't count. It's kind of corny, I think, when preachers count the number of words. It's a good thing. But as I immediately apologize for the preachers sitting before me. That's fine. No. I just forgot to. I would, so yeah. Um, but all over Scripture is this word fruit. And I think I just want to delve into what that means. Jesus used it over and over again. In fact, Mike preached on this in the last three or four weeks. Uh, John, 15 verse, uh, John 15, which is about Jesus. Um, here, I'll read it. Uh, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here in Galatians 5, Paul is talking about fruit. Jesus is talking about fruit. And all over the New Testament, they're talking about fruit. And it represents all Christian growth here on earth. If you bear much fruit, if you produce fruit, the thing that has good fruit, we, we prune. And the thing that doesn't produce fruit, we, we discard away. And I think that the reason that God uses this word over and again, this picture, is that it's, it's been around for a long time. And it is actually a really good representation of how we grow. And I think if we are to grow as Christians, and I think it is our yearning that we should grow as Christians, we need to understand why God is using this picture. And there's four things that I think we can simply get from this. One is that fruit or growth, all growth, is gradual. The second thing is, when we're going to go deeper into these, is that the growth that we see in nature is inescapable or a better word for that. It's uh, inevitable. It's inescapable. It's inevitable. The third word, it's internal. And the fourth thing we'll look at is that it's proportional, or it's all growing at the same time. The hardest thing for us as Christians sometimes is that real plant growth you can't see. We've been able to see it in modern day. I saw a little YouTube video, uh, and they were talking about how the BBC has how video techniques over the last 50 years have changed to be able to show our, our natural wonder. It was because the Planet Earth Season 2 came out. And it's just such a great thing of showing God's glory to us. But there was this documentary on how, how they have used filming techniques to, to show growth over time to, in plants. And it was just, we, people never really knew how plants grew or could never really grasp it until they figured out that thing of a time lapse photography, and then stitching them all together. And suddenly this thing grows in 30 seconds of what it did in a year. And that's hard for us as Christians. We've got to realize, though, that, that Christian growth is that it takes time to see what's coming along. And it's mysterious. If I think to the times that I was growing up, I used to hate it when relatives used to come to me and say, oh, haven't you grown? And then pinch my rosy cheeks. I'm like, okay, sure, I don't feel like I've grown. But every year when my parents used to stand us up against the, I don't know if your parents did this, but against the kitchen door on your birthday and mark you, you can see, oh, I have grown. 
I don't feel much taller, but I have grown. It's gradual. And if you're struggling here this morning, if some of the scripture that we've read is like, oh man, I'm feeling condemned this morning, what I would suggest that you do is ask those around you what growth they've seen in your life. I remember it happened to me, it's happened a couple times throughout my life, but people have just come along with encouraging words. It says, Andy, you used to be like this, and now you're like this. And for me, it was like, oh, I was really depressed, actually, because I thought that I'm just like stagnant in my Christian faith. I thought I'm just, nothing much is happening quickly. But if I see the testimony of what God has been doing over the last 10, 5, 10 years, it is clear that God is growing me. God is producing a fruit. And fruit is also seasonal. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's small. Ask somebody else. The other thing is that, yeah, group is, uh, growth is inevitable. It's slow, but it's inevitable. And the thing I'd encourage you is, is if you have the Spirit of God, you will become more loving, joyous, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Who wants that? Really, those attributes are the attributes of Jesus Christ. If we could pick out the person and say, okay, who, who is Paul getting about? Who is he speaking about? He's speaking about Jesus Christ. So as we look at this growth, as we look at Galatians 5, it says, what does it mean to grow into this fruit that he's describing? He's describing the fruit of us looking like Jesus. And we want that. And the thing I'm glad about is that fruit doesn't decide to grow. Stay with me. What enables a plant to go? If I take a plant, I don't know, do we have good soil on Vancouver Island? I'm not a farmer. We have good soil. Okay, lots of things grow here. Maybe not the things we want sometimes, but lots of things grow here. If I take a plant that's supposed to be on Vancouver Island, and if I plant it, if it receives sun, if it's the right temperature, and in our good soil that's full of nutrients, what will happen to the plant? It will grow. Absolutely. How much cognitive and grunting and and emotional effort did that plant put into growing? None. It was planted where it was supposed to be planted, and it grew, because that's how things happen. Think of what uh, Camilla's my wife. She's sitting right there. She was leading worship. Awesome lady. She's the reason why I'm here. How How far are we along in our pregnancy? Seven months. I think it's amazing what's happening. It's such, such this like, image of growth, such this fast growth that's happening right now. Too fast for me. I told her I wish pregnancy, I told her I wish pregnancy was two years long, not nine months. She doesn't want to hear that. And I'm wrong. Nine months is way too long, but I'm like, wow, this is quick. I just need the whole nine months. No, no early baby. But our baby inside Camilla did not decide to grow. It didn't decide to come into being. It didn't decide to grow fingers and to to have eyes and to have a head and to grow its arms. It just grew because God is providing through my wife everything that the cells needed to grow with. Our baby didn't decide. And when it comes out, it's not going to decide to poop either. It's just going to happen. It's just going (laughs) to pee. It's going to do all these things that it doesn't have control over. Pray for us. But, But I think growth... Growth in our lives, right, it's, it's impossible for us not to grow. It's impossible for that thing that was put inside Camilla not to sprout into human life because that's how God created it to be. And that's why God is using this term fruit. It's impossible 
in um, John 15, where Jesus is talking about the vine, it's impossible for you to remain in Jesus and not to bear good fruit. You can't do it. And the opposite is true as well. You can't bear good fruit and not remain in Jesus. So I encourage you that if you're struggling with, with growth in your life, if you're struggling that seeing that growth, remember the truth that it is impossible for you not to grow if you remain in Jesus and his spirit dwells inside of you. Be encouraged. And also, who's seen the, the amazing thing that nature does? I think in, um, back home, we have pretty old city streets and our, uh, our things are made out of brick and everything. But a certain year, I think the government decided to, to all new roads that were built had to have um, trees planted down the side of them. So both sides, I grew up on these really nice uh, streets in England, but there's trees all down the side. And one thing that you get used to is that our pavement is just bubbling over everywhere. These trees are just wrecking homes left, right, and center as their roots force through man-made concrete, as their roots force through man-made brick. And it's actually a real issue. Like, my foundation is being ruined by natural growth. And I remind us, church, that if, if a plant can do it, and if you feel that there's like a concrete slab in your life that you can't get through, that the growth from coming from God can't get through, I'd remind you that if plants can do it, God can do it by his Spirit. We see it everywhere within nature. It goes through barriers. And if we, like plants, plant ourselves how God has called us to plant ourselves, if Christ is in us, if we remain in the Spirit, if we pursue intimacy with the Spirit, we have to grow. The third thing of these four things is that the good bit is internal. Fruit on the outside might look great, but actually the thing you want is inside that thing. Um, and we judge each other all the time by what's on the outside, especially in ministry. How's big, how big is your church? How big is your connect group? What time did you get up to pray? What, how much of the Bible have you read recently? <laughs> Scripture does not say that the fruit of the Spirit is leadership or wealth or intelligence or charisma and success. The world is very good at being fruitful with that stuff. There's many more charismatic people than me outside these walls who don't believe in Jesus. There's very more, um, yeah, I won't depress myself too much, but uh, you get the idea. The world is very good at producing external fruits, but it's a mechanical sort of growth. It's the sort of growth that comes by stacking brick after brick on each other that then gets destroyed by the organic growth growing through it. Anyone can stack bricks on top of each other. Anyone can produce seemingly good fruit that, it, that appears externally. Um, but only one has the ability to produce that organic, good growth that enables a child to grow or enables forests and trees to grow. Mechanical growth, mechanical worldly growth, I'd encourage you, isn't really alive. And at church, we've got very good at being at church. I've grown up in church all my life. And the danger for, for me and for others who are maybe longer in their faith, is that we can get very good at doing church. I encourage you that it's possible to clothe the naked, it's possible to feed the hungry, it's possible to teach Sunday school and lead worship and evangelize all mechanically. But those are external things. The real fruit has to be internal. Matthew 7:22 says, "On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, says the Lord, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." 
Now, we shouldn't live in fear if our hope is in Jesus, but we have to know that the fruit that we're looking for, the fruit that we press on for, has to start with the internal fruit first. External fruit or a ministry that does amazing things, you can bring people to know Jesus, people's lives can be transformed by you, but if God isn't transforming your own life, it means nothing when we stand before him. And that is a reminder for us that we're to pursue intimacy with Jesus. Think these things have to be sprouting up in our own life. And that's the thing with leadership, right? I could be so concerned that people coming to my connect group are being encouraged in this. People we're leading in worship are being encouraged in this. But is it taking place within our own lives? Even if you're a part of, part of this church, these things might be happening in this church as you as a member of the congregation. But is these things, are these fruits sprouting forth in your own life? If they're not, we need to get back and be planted with Jesus. Those things have to sprout up. They have to come into being when we're planted in Jesus Christ. And if we're going through a season where that's not happening, I encourage you, come back. Be more concerned about your own spiritual growth first than the spiritual growth of others maybe, just for a season. Um, the other thing that happens, and really comes about with the way that Paul used the word fruit in his, his description, is that it's a proportional change. If I give you, or if someone gives me an apple, that is shaped like a banana, I'm going to be suspicious of this apple. I'm going to be like, I know they do that weird thing in Japan where they make watermelons look all weird different shapes, but for the majority of the time, an apple looks like an apple. It doesn't look like a pineapple. It doesn't look like a coconut. Well, it kind of looks like a coconut. I guess it's round. Um, but it looks, it's proportional to the thing that you're describing it to be. It's the same with Jesus. If we are growing into Jesus we are proportionally growing into the character that is described in Galatians 5. I think a lot of us try to pick out, well, I'm really patient. Uh, uh, Let me read them. So you can be really patient, but you can't be gentle. Or you can be really self-controlled and have no joy. Those things aren't real spiritual fruit. That's something that's just natural to you or something like that. It doesn't say, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It says, but the singular fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness. And when I was getting to studying this, I was like, that was intensely challenging for me. There's things on this list that I think I do really well. And there's things on this list that I don't go well. But I know if I'm not growing proportionally to how this list makes it out, I'm not truly seeing spiritual growth. I might just be seeing growth in my life fueled by pride. Or I need to be self-controlled because mature men are self-controlled. You know, that's not a spiritual growth. That's a prideful growth. Um, Jonathan Edwards, sort of a paraphrase of what he said once time, is how do we know that the growth in our lives... Again, these, these characteristics that Paul is talking about here, these could apply to people outside. I follow Twitter and I follow Bill Gates on Twitter and I'm like, wow, Bill Gates is amazing. He's kind, he's generous, he's all these things. But unless he knows Jesus... He's not growing spiritually. So how do we know that these, if we're growing in these things, that it's real spiritual growth and not a counterfeit? Jonathan Edwards said, if you want to know whether the character that's growing in your life, the love that's growing in your life, is real spiritual love from the Spirit, from the Gospel, if you want to know it's real love, real joy, real peace, and not a counterfeit, not something artificial, not something temporary, 
not something patched up or just circumstantial or just natural to your temperament. If you want to know if something is really from the Spirit, you must see to it that they are always completely linked together and whole. And the word he used was concatenated. We don't use it much now, but it means all happening at the same time and all dependent on each other. Peace and humility, two of these fruits. What's the opposite of peace? Uh, Sorry, what's the opposite of humility? Pride, right? So you can have peace, spiritually a good thing stayed here, but if you mark that with pride, your peace is brought about, your financial brought about by your financial success or your security in your relationship, security in family, security in your church, security in your new promotion. If you have peace with pride, then we know that's not a, a, a good godly thing that God is growing with us. The same, the other way around, the opposite of of peace is worry. You can be a very humble person and you could be a very worrisome person. Well, then that humility in your life hasn't come from God because if the humility in life came from, came from God, it would be happening at the same time as peace in your life would come. The person who worries thinks they know more than what God has promised. They think they know the outcome of what's going to happen. I'm worrying about this thing because I'm imagining disaster. And that's not true trust in Jesus. That's not true trust in the promises over what God has said over your life. So we've got to be careful with this lesson. Again, go into this. Take this home. Anyone who's growing. Now, you can be more. You can have some things in this list that you're stronger in than others. But I encourage you, you're stronger in that because you're naturally like that way. But see to it that these things grow in your life all at the same time. Again, you can't stop it. 1 John uh, 4.20 says that anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for, for he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, cannot love God who he cannot see. And scripture doesn't, John's not calling the person imbalanced. He's not calling them, oh, they're slightly misconfigured. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, well, actually, you don't love God. And it's the same with these fruits. If we say that we have love, but we don't have joy, or if we say that we're gentle, but we're not patient, that isn't, real, that isn't the real fruit that God's been growing in our lives. And second of all, they're all interdependent. You can't have true biblical self-control. With, or some of us, sorry, one commentator said, most of us lack self-control because we lack joy. And the reason why we're getting addicted to things, the reason why we're so prone to go after things that are things of the flesh that we read out before is because all these things need to come through together. If you lack joy, you're naturally going to lack self-control. Why? Because you're not satisfied in who God is creating you to be. You're not satisfied in what he said over your life. So get satisfied. Satisfaction in your life, good spiritual satisfaction in your life will make you more self-controlled if you struggle with that. It's crazy, but I think it's true. What is the hope? How should we go around from running from the fleshly, mechanical, and self-willed walk to the spiritual walk with the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5.24 says it. And he says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, most of us read that as crucify the flesh, with, uh, crucify the deeds of the flesh. But let's see what it actually says. Is, but it really says, crucify the flesh's passions and desires. In other words, stop trying to deal 
with the sin and instead try to deal with the root of what's causing you to sin. At its most basic level, all of these things, if, if you see things in yourself that are in that previous list of, of works of the flesh, we have to deal with it at a spiritual level. If you desire that sin more than you desire the presence of Jesus, don't only try to start by stopping it in your own will, but instead do that and let God breathe water into your life. Let God, let just bask in, in the sunshine of, of Jesus Christ in your life. You can't stand, you can't be in the presence of God and not be changed. You can't have the Holy Spirit dwell within you and not be changed and not grow. My great hope, again, is, I think one of my favorite scriptures is 1 John 3, 1 to 3. It says, What kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we have, or sorry, and what we and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. The great hope for my life, as I said it before, is I can't wait till my flesh is six feet under. My great hope is that when I stand before Jesus Christ face to face, I will be like him in an instant. Camilla's never seen that person before, even on our wedding day where I had my biggest grin on, where I looked like the perfect man. And then she was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? (laughs) After that. Even on my best day is not going to compare in the slightest to when I stand before Jesus face to face and I'm suddenly like him. I want to say for you this morning who are struggling with this, it's like, oh, I'm not bearing fruit. He says it here, and everyone who thus hopes and purifies himself, and he is pure. If this is your hope, if your hope is that when you stand before Jesus Christ, you will be pure, and you will if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then you purify yourself. Be encouraged, even if you're struggling. Ask those around you, how am I growing? Know that if you dwell in the Spirit, you cannot resist change. It's just going to happen like our baby boy growing in Camilla. And know that our greatest hope, when this life is over in the blink of an eye, when we stand before Jesus, we will be instantly like him. You've got to know about Jesus. You've got to know about the Holy Spirit. One commentator said that we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom. And, if, and the Spirit is the best man. He's also the maid of honor. The Spirit is the person that brought us together and is now always saying, look, look how beautiful Jesus is. I believe, I trust out of that scripture that says when we see Jesus, we will be like him. That the process of change in my life, the process of becoming more like Jesus in my life is looking at him. You will not change in your life by, by struggling and, and trying to become more like him in your own will. You will become more like Jesus by looking at him, seeing how beautiful he is. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4 sort of echoes this. Then have you been raised with Christ? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I'm just going to invite the worship team back up as they lead us in a response, but 
I want you to hear what I'm saying this morning. If, if you're plateaued, if you think that you're going nowhere, get back and respond to the question that Russ challenged us with last week. Get back into intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Spend time. Pray. You can't sit down with your God, with the Spirit inside of you and pray and Him not hear you and Him not respond to you. If our prayers this week is, God, change me to be like your son, what's going to happen? God is going to change us to be like his son. You can't earnestly pray, God, change me to be like this fruit, and it not happen, I believe. It's in God's will. It's going to happen. If you dwell in the spirit, it is going to come about. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I wish that was a picture for me as well. Paul encouraged elsewhere to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The reason he was able to say that is because he was imitating Christ fully. And he's something in his life He'd seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was struck down by the presence of God, and something was set in fire in his life that he kept pursuing that thing. And I believe that we can have the same thing. We can be like Jesus when we see him as he is. Wes in the prayer meeting was, was reading about Exodus and how Moses was meeting um, with God, and the, the cloud of uh, God's glory would come down and meet with Moses, and they would speak to each other like a friend speaks to a friend, kind of face to face. Now Moses, having already come and led God's people out of Egypt, had seen the waters part in front of him, no? How great your faith would be if you see the waters part in front of you. Some of us are waiting for a miracle to come along and say, "I just, God, I just want to see the power of of your spirit and then I'll I'll follow in faith. So Moses had had seen God work mightily, had seen God bring the plagues, had seen God's uh, work and, and bring the people out of Egypt. And God had asked, was asking him in this place now, lead my people into the promised land. And Moses, when I first read this, I'm like, Moses, you're disobedient. You're, 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 you're so ignorant. You've seen God work mightily. There is no denying that God is for you and working with you. But after he'd seen all these things, After God has said, look, I'm going with you. I'll be with you as you take the next step. Moses asked God for one more thing. In Exodus 33, 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And what did God do? He did it. That was the bit where where, uh, uh, Moses hides in the cliff and God covers him and and God passes through this valley. And then as, as Moses turns around, he sees the very aftermath of God passing through. And something in seeing, he not just knew what, who God was, he not just knew what God had already done and what he had promised, but he needed to see the glory of God to be able to go forth into what God had for him. And I think the same is true for us. You can know all this stuff, and a lot of what I said this morning might not be new for you, and that's good, well done. But we have to see the glory of God to be able to push forward. It's seeing him that brings the growth. It's seeing him that brings all of it. So we're going to stand this morning. I don't know where you're at. Paul's going to lead us at the end here. But just concentrate. Worship is about worshiping him. We want to see him. So just, yeah, open your eyes spiritually. 
to him. <laughs>